Another Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the antediluvian Matt. Hello there. Don't know what that means. <laughs> he's, uh, the technical definition is actually like before the biblical flood. It just means basically something that's really, really ancient. Okay, I'll take Hence that. the connection with obviously today's episode, uh, Cold Blood and... Uh, hungry Earth. Uh, oh, the Hungry Earth is the first one, isn't it? Hungry yeah. Earth and Cold Blood. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pretty significant one. Our first two part of this I think series. So. Yeah, I, think I don't so. think we've. I'm trying to think. No, it isn't. Um, Weeping Angels two parter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that was disappointing. Yeah, gotta agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll relitigate that when what, we do our inevitable wrap up. What do you think of this this episode? This um, so, um, well, a few things to note, first of all. Uh, written by one Chris Chibnall. Mm-hmm. Chibbers. Yep. Good old uh, chibby-dibby. We, we've, we've experienced his writing before. Made, in fact, no, we didn't, because it was the RTD wrote... He was mostly had written for Torchwood up until this point. Right. We'd not, I don't think we've seen an episode from him in Doctor Who proper yet. Um, but he is, of course, the current showrunner. Mm-hmm. So this is his first chance to really impress you with his Doctor Who writing. Um, it's a bit slow, isn't it? I think this might be my favourite episode of the series. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. well, yeah. this is interesting because it's not a well-loved one. I stick up for it. I don't think it's dreadful by any I, stretch. I don't think it's perfect. And I, I just really like the idea that towards the end... That certain people think everything's going to be okay, mm. and certain people just know it's already fucked. Yes, yeah, there is a, there, the, the, the that sort of, aspect I really yeah, like. Yeah, re- we'll get we'll we'll talk more about it, but kind of the sort of the ominous dread when we as the audience know a certain thing has happened, mm. and that's kind of like hanging over the whole second episode like this sword of Damocles and you're just waiting for it to drop mm. it's yeah there's, so there's some really good writing in here I think but um, the, one of the big criticisms of it is that it feels a bit slow and a bit stretched out there's a few mm. other niggles but but um, overall, full of Welsh people it's, it's very Welsh <laughs> it's yeah. very Welsh isn't it yeah this episode um, but yeah uh, also we've got to make note of that that this is a returning classic Monster, okay. which we've not had for a little while. And it almost seems a shame to call them monsters, because they're not really. The whole point of the Silurians is that they're kind of... They've got a legitimate point. <laughs> you know? And I think it goes back to Christmas Invasion. I forget the enemies from there. But I think you said it in relation to that, and I'll say it to this. They look better with the masks on, don't they? They shouldn't yes. take their helmets off. Yeah, okay, well, it's interesting you say that. So... Um, the design of the mask is very much to echo the original Silurian design. Okay. So their faces looked much more akin to that, so more alien-like, more monstrous, uh, with the big eyes. So is that when they say, oh, I've met a different strain? Yes, a different branch, because it's basically their way of writing around the fact that they didn't want to do that exact design Mm. for these ones, because they wanted... To basically give the, the actors an ability to actually emote with their faces, and I think that was that was doing the masks for like warrior mask. It's a good compromise, I think. Mm. So you get that classic Silurian look, but then also you get the opportunity to actually give, give uh, for actors to give a more emotive 
subtle performance where you actually get to see their facial expressions. Um, so I've always actually liked that. It was a bit of a controversial choice. But yeah, so you go, with, with the Sinonians, you're going way back to um, uh, John Pertwee era, Third Doctor. I think it's a second story, maybe? Doctor Who and the Silurians, it's called. Yeah. That's the official... I I wrote t- it down. Yeah, the, it's the official title. Because that's, that's what it was broadcast as due to an error in the production team. Oh, God. Just... Uh, so, classic Doctor Who is just the worst, isn't it? <laughs> Boy, you say that. I, it, were, were you up for watching a seven-parter, I would have made you watch Doctor Who and the Silurians because I think it's a fantastic story. Mm. And this, this I episode, don't know. Whenever we watch classics, the number of episodes seems to always go up. And I always think, yeah, it's not bad. The episodes are really short. But I lose old track of like reality when I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, I'm I can't remember definitely... the the last one. Was it five parts we watched? No, I think it was just a four part of Robots yeah. of Death. And I watched it like a movie, and I mean, I, I wasn't right for a few days. No, I mean, I do tell you every time, don't like specifically do not do that. No, but I always run out of time. I watched three episodes in one sitting this weekend. <laughs> I always think, oh, I've got ages, and then you know, life happens, and before you know it, it's late Saturday evening, yeah, and you're three hours work. into your into your Doctor Who <laughs> marathon. Oh man! Um, but yeah, it's I really love the original Doctor Who and the Silurians, and this one borrows quite liberally from mm. the broad strokes of that story. It's not it's not just a remake, mm. but it is similarly nuanced. Mm. Should we say now? Can can I just ask a question? Because yeah. I was just a bit uncertain. Is the boy in this dyslexic? I think that's the idea. Yeah, yeah they hammer that home, don't they? And yeah. they just every time they mention it, the doctor just goes, "Well, doesn't mean you're you know a bad person. You're just not very good at reading. I can't do such and such." And it's just like, yeah, all right, we get it. It's a bit heavy-handed, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I'm not belittling dyslexia, yeah. but. Without jumping ahead of ourselves, mm. when we get to the next episode where we're talking about Vincent van Gogh mm-hmm. and mental health issues, so well handled in comparison to this, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, there is there is a lack of subtlety to the dyslexia. So I was like, he wanted to... He fucking loves audiobooks, doesn't he? Oh, His dad's reading it, he's just like, give me the audiobook. Like, uh-huh. I can't remember, was this prime audiobook territory <laughs> 2010 it would have been sort like, of the birth of podcasts would yeah, like the ricky gervais yeah, thing audible wouldn't really have been much of a thing yeah at that point. yeah so i don't know where this kid's getting all his audiobooks from <laughs> i don't know i remember i had one as a on cassette when i was younger yeah i had disney's the jungle book one of those where you get the book and it helps you to read it uh-huh but I just remember once, my auntie gifted me, and it was four cassettes, mm-hmm. and it was an obscure Stephen King story. And I was just like, you don't know me at all. <laughs> when, when am I ever going to do that? And the weird thing is now, as soon as I sit down to do some work or play some computer games, first thing I do, put a podcast on. Yeah. How times change. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, I, I feel like that's enough preamble. Shall we... Get stuck in because there's there's a fair amount to cover in this uh, yep. two parter. So right, so we are the twenty second of May two thousand and ten. Yep. Except the episode is set in twenty twenty, so the yeah. not too distant future. 
would have been back then. Yeah, yeah just just round the corner for us now. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think we're in Kumtaf, like a Welsh yeah. mining town. T- t- tiny Welsh village. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a Seem, Seems to have quite a large mining facility for such a small village. You think there'd be like houses for people at work there? Well, uh, they they uh, they just kind of address it in the text, but it's but it's it's all very much just so that Chibnall as a writer doesn't have to worry about, you know, mm. the impact on anyone other than the one family at the folk. Uh, yeah, because there is just literally one family lives one, in this. One family plus Mira Sayal. Yeah. That's it. Plus acquaintance. <laughs> yeah. Right, so um, there's a man reading to his son. Yeah. I, I can't even remember his name, but it took me ages before he's mentioned by name. Is it Leo? Mo. Mo. That's it. Mo. So yeah. he's reading the Gruffalo to his son. And his wife brings his packed lunch. Yeah. Uh, He bikes down to the mine where he works, and the drill has reached a depth of 21 kilometres. Yeah, so this isn't, to be clear, this is not a standard mining facility. Oh, they're just digging. It's never clear exactly. I think the idea is it's just like an exploratory scientific... When I was young, and I mean quite young, maybe four years old, me and my brothers just used to dig holes in the garden. Yeah. It's the equivalent you know, of that, isn't you it? You go to the beach, you dig a hole. Yeah, just see how deep can you get. That seems to be what they're doing. Now, did you recognise the head of the mining facility? Yeah, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he plays Craster. Yes, he, so in Game of Thrones. yet another Game of Thrones. Yeah, is, so, that, is that like the third on the trot, maybe? Possibly. Cause yeah, because we, uh, we had Jorah Mormont. Yeah. Then, did we... Who did we have? No, we had Toby Jones, didn't we? In Amy's Choice. Yeah, no, that was a different... So, um, there's another episode which we watched in between, isn't there? That I'm I can't remember. That. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, we've had a lot of... Oh, there was one with yeah. Gendry in, wasn't there? Yeah. Where but, he's a soldier. Yeah, uh, uh, but basically, get used to it. For the foreseeable future, we're going to be yeah. seeing Game of Thrones actors. Salador Sam, he was in Yes, the that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So, yeah. They're all, they're all popping up. So, I've just put the head of the mine is Craster, and his mate is from the Kumars. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember how big the Kumars used to be? And it was crap. I'm pretty certain. Did yeah. they get a Christmas number one with Gareth Gates? I mean, maybe. I'll, I'll be honest, I never paid much attention to the Kumars. I, I quite enjoyed Goodness Gracious Me when I was a kid growing up. See, I just didn't. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't really like a lot of racial based humour. I think they did. Uh, the good thing about goodness gracious me is that the, though the ones that they're best remembered for is like you know going out for an English and, mm. and stuff like that. They did a lot of stuff that really wasn't based around that. It was more just like the fast show, but with a uh, predominantly like British Indian cast. Mm. So Mo is on the night shift, and he's pretty much the only person there. Mm-hmm. And he sits down. He's is he in charge of security? He has like monitors just, in front of yeah, him. Yeah, I think he's just he's there to keep uh, keep an eye on things and keep things ticking over. over so the there. whole mine begins to shake. Mo goes to investigate, and there's a big smoking hole in the floor. Yeah, which he sticks his arm in. Yeah, well, because if you'd already dropped your torch into it yeah. and it had sunk away, not for all the tea in China <laughs> would I be putting my arm in that hole. Absolutely. What if it's um, the the tea we are drinking right now? So, <laughs> should we go off on a tangent? Yeah, I think we, it's so, time. It's so time. every time we record, I make David a nice cup of tea. Now today we've I'm gone very off piste, and we're having Taylors of Harrogate. 
they do the best tea, Yorkshire tea, mm-hmm. but we're having their biscuit brew. So yeah. it's tea specifically blended. It's quite malty. Tastes like nice digestive biscuit. It does. It's basically cutting out the middleman, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I'm absolutely addicted to it. <laughs> you know, I probably shouldn't say this on pod, but I even texted my brother the other day to say it's so nice. I drank five cups in one sitting and pissed the bed. <laughs> that story, I'd be like, you're exaggerating for comic effects. No, but like, I, d- I believe you. Fucking overdosed on tea. Went to bed, like, <laughs> shaking off my face on caffeine. Woke up sopping wet. Oh, that's deeply unpleasant. Yeah. My brother still doesn't know whether that story's true or not. I like to have an air of mystery. <laughs> because there's quite a famous story in, like, my family's folklore. Yeah. Where one Christmas morning... I don't know if I've ever told you this story. My mum came in to wake me up and say Merry Christmas. And as she rolled me over, I was caked head to toe in shite. (laughs) And my mum, straight into panic mode, was like, Matt, you've shit the bed. We, We need to fucking tidy this up before your dad wakes up. You've ruined Christmas. And my dad, my mum was really panicked. And after a few moments, when she'd like pulled the covers back, we noticed what had actually happened was the night before I'd gone to bed quite heavily drunk and eaten prob- about two boxes of Maltesers in bed, <laughs> fallen asleep. They'd like rolled out the box onto my chest, melted and congealed into like a Cleveland steamer of Malteser mass on my chest. Oh, and amazing. it went from my mum being really worried my dad was going to kill me to my mum <laughs> screaming at me like never before. Wow. So yeah, there's Good a few times. stories about whether or not I've ever shat or pissed the bed. Yes, I, I, that is not where I expected it to go when I brought up the uh, the tea. Do you like it? It's alright. It's nice, isn't it? It's <laughs> non-offensive. <laughs> right, anyway, so Mo has dropped his torch. And puts he his arm in the hole. Because he's just insane. And he's just dragged in. Uh-huh. And this is where we cut to the TARDIS. Yeah. So it's aiming for Rio. Yeah. It lands in Wales. Classic bit of TARDIS nonsense. Just, you know, we're going to yeah. place. That's yeah. it. Are they sort of continuing the theme of... Amy and Rory deserve a nice time together. We'll go yeah. to the Rio carnival. Yeah. Uh, but it misses. It lands in Wales, mm-hmm. as it always does. And they notice that in the cemetery, the grass is growing blue rather yeah. than green. There's just like weird patches here and there. Mm. And in the distance, there's two people waving to them. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that is future Rory and future Amy that have just come back because they have such a great time on this adventure. They're just reliving the good old days. Now, I hate this. Really? I hate that. But it, without getting ahead of ourselves, it bookends the story. It does. It very much does. And it's obviously placed there for a very intentional reason, Mm. which we'll get to at the end. But one, I feel like it doesn't make sense from a character perspective as to why they'd be doing that. Like, just go and have new adventures. Why would you just stand on a hill in the distance just to give yourself a wave? That yeah, but feels they're not allowed to like interfere, are they? No, and that's the thing. But even that, like, 
Can you imagine Eccleston's Can, can it work the being... other way? You know, we've said there's that episode, is it Father's Day, yes. where they can't interfere with one yeah. another. But if future Amy knew past Amy was going to be at a specific point, could future Amy intentionally do it without time travel? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the implication there, is that, like, they are living at that point and yeah. just popped. Well, that's it. I suppose yeah, here right. it's... Yeah, they knew that they, that they were, were going to be there at some point. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not totally dissimilar to Father's Day. I suppose yeah, they, don't, they don't change their behaviour, do they? They keep no, such a distance, yeah. it's just like, hello again. Yeah, but I don't know. It just feels like it's just it's just there to make the ending work. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's there because it makes sense from a character perspective. It's what it, I feel. Like it's like it's one of the more. It's one of the moments where I can feel like the the gears turning in this story mm. just for for us to but get it, to where we need to be. It also ties in that we're led to believe Amy and Rory are going to have this happy ending, yeah, which none of the other companions have had. Yeah. So it gives yeah, you it, some hope. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely rooting for them as a couple, aren't mm. you? Like it's, uh, I it, we're only a few episodes in, but like I think it's interesting when you look at Amy and Rory as compared to Rose and Mickey, mm. and how that relationship was kind of. They both st- you, in both cases you're starting from the perspective of you've got this slightly wobbly relationship, and then you're throwing the Doctor in the mix, and that complicates things further. Yeah. Whereas with this. Uh, with Amy and Rory, it's yes, the Doctor complicates things, but the Doctor is aware of that and is trying very hard not to be that complication. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the Doctor spots the big mining thing. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan of big mining things. He wants. He loves to go a big see. mining thing, and that's you know that's consistent with classic Who. Right. <laughs> so, as they're going to go adventure, Rory makes Amy take her ring off. And he says, I'll put it in the TARDIS for safekeeping. Yeah. So Amy and the Doctor run on ahead. When Rory comes back out the TARDIS, uh, a mum and, well, it's the child from earlier, think he's the police. So it's Moe's wife and son. Yeah. He's gone missing. Yeah. They've called the police. Obviously, there's just a big police box there. Yeah. I think they ask, is it like a portable forensics lab? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very credulous, like is it? Because like you would be like, well, where's the the lorry that dropped it off or whatever? <laughs> like, doesn't have wheels. It's clearly yeah. Um, so at this point, they're not actually reporting him missing, are they? They're reporting the empty grave. Yes. So that, yeah. So, so they called Ambrose, about, who is yeah. the mother. Yeah. Has an aunt, I think, and they're going to bury her. And they've opened the plot because she's going to be buried with Ambrose's uncle. Yeah. And when they've opened the plot, there's nothing there. Yes. Yeah. Now, the ground is untouched, so yeah. they assume the body has maybe been stolen, but they don't know quite how. Mm-hmm. Logic dictates stolen from beneath, but there's no signs of that. Yeah. So, um, we as, as the viewer, we already, you know, we know what the veal is. Mm-hmm. We've just seen it happen to Mo. But... Um, yeah, obviously, poor Rory is kind of stood there looking at this grave, just been like, "What?" And like, I like the way Arthur Diamond plays it, where it's obvious, like, that he had his moment to be like, "Oh no, I'm not the police. You've made yeah. a terrible mistake." But that moment's just—they've just 
um, Ambrose, because she's quite a pushy sort of character, she's just gone straight to it and he's not had a chance to get a word in and now it's too late. Like, he will not... It, you, you get the sense that it's just out of fear of embarrassment mm. that Rory is not <laughs> going to mention that he's not actually a policeman. So the Doctor and Amy reach the mine where they meet... I, haven't, I don't even know if I've written his name down. Is it called Tony? The oh, mine oh owner. God. Uh, and Nasri. Yes, Tony. Tony and Nasri. And yeah. the hole that Mo fell down starts smoking... Yeah. And holes start opening all over the floor. Yeah. Amy falls in one. Yeah. She says there's something pulling her down and she gets swallowed. Yeah. And that's the point at which we know that Mo's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's no way they're killing Amy off. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still like, I, I like, you still feel the tension in that moment. Because like the, the Doctor is kind of desperate. Because yeah. he's just like, it's swallowing up. It, it, what's he got? He's got a sonic screwdriver, which is clearly doing nothing on this earth. And he's like, yeah, there is a kind of desperation to it. And then when he's kind of left without her, he's just, yeah, yeah. He doesn't like failure, does he? Really? No. So back with Rory, the little boy. I can't even remember the little boy's name. Elliot. I think. Elliot. Yeah. He explains that the grave was robbed from below. It's at this point he talks about how much he loves audio books. <laughs> I've made yeah. that very clear yeah. in my notes. Yeah. The boy loves audio books. Yeah, because he doesn't. He, he busts out that Sherlock Holmes quote. Yeah. Uh, once you eliminate the impossible, uh, the, uh, the, the however improbable. Uh, mm. Yeah. Well, teacher at school when I was young yeah. used to say, "How do you make an elephant out of a rock?" That was like his catchphrase. And uh-huh. it was like, "Well, chip away all the bits that aren't elephant, and what you're left with must be an elephant." not quite as eloquent as the Sherlock Holmes quote, is it? No. Because what you're left with is nothing. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, just a, a dismembered elephant. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, the Doctor comes to the conclusion that the ground is fighting the drill. The drill has gone to this new depth it's never reached before, and that's what's causing this disturbance. So, even when the drill's turned off, the Doctor can still hear rumblings beneath the ground yeah. and he says it's actually something drilling back up he says it's transport something's coming from beneath the ground yeah. and it's going to arrive in 12 minutes it's a little bit like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I thought at this point when Shredder used to come from the Technodrome in his little drill car I mean I guess maybe yeah a bit I, I was disappointed <laughs> on that front yeah but there was no little drill car yeah and yeah. um, the whole area is put under a really cliched energy dome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that before. Pertwee managed to get through one, didn't he? So yeah, the doctor should know. He should call. To be fair, he had yeah, he, he had units. Um, I don't know whether you uh, yeah, unit would be around. Unit should yeah, because I think he works for unit Lee Evans. Yeah, and I can't remember the other lady's name uh, that shot a gun at. Someone. <laughs> That's how like <laughs> non consequential that episode was. Yeah. She had a gun. At, and she shot yeah, she it. definitely had a gun. I think she pulled a gun on Lee Evans. She waved a gun of her own. Yeah. That was like her character arc. Yeah. Right. Rory arrives and realizes Amy's missing uh-huh. and goes mad at the doctor. Mm-hmm. I thought this was pretty good. It's a fantastic scene. Good to see yeah. a bit more from Rory instead of yeah. him just sort of being the bumbling sidekick. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, we see Amy's alive because she's seen through weird alien vision. Yeah. A little bit like Terminator, a little bit like Predator. Yeah, sort of green. But it goes red. That's how we know they're bad. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, the Doctor calls for all the recording and sensing equipment. He says he's basically going to be able to detect when they arrive. Mm -hmm. At this point, we get a short sermon on the issues of dyslexia again. Yeah. Uh, So, the Doctor tells Ambrose, no weapons. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think does she have like a plank of wood? She's in she's kind car? of given. Uh, she's kind of been gathering up every like blunt object or pointy thing that she can find, including like a cricket bat and stuff like that. And like kind of like had gathered it all up and was like mm. dumping it in her van. And yeah, the doctor gives her the whole no weapons lecture. Now the next point in my notes, I've just put dyslexia is great. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it gets dark as these ominous creatures arrive. Yeah. And I've put at this point, turns out Tony and Nazreen aren't a couple. Yeah. They share a kiss. And I was just like, I just assumed they were together. They're all over each other all the way through. Yeah. Well, that's the point. He's like, the point was it was uh, they hadn't quite crossed that threshold, but mm. it was obvious that's where they were heading. And because, like, yeah, and it was this, I think it's quite a touching little moment, you know. Mm. Um, it's the end of the world. You've yeah. got to make your move, haven't you? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, Tony, you know, she reacts with surprise and Tony just says, oh, like you didn't know. Yeah. So it's, that's quite nicely written. So, um, everyone hunkers down in the church. Yeah. Except there's now no power mm-hmm. in the church. And Elliot isn't there because he had to go get his headphones so he could listen to his audio books. Yeah, we kind of glossed over, I think. I really like, yes, there is the dyslexia stuff, but I really like the scene with just Elliot and the Doctor now, I, having a little sort of... I wanted to ask hug. this, yeah. and I don't know whether it's intentional, but it's something I find really endearing about Matt Smith, mm. is his portrayal of the Doctor, and again, I, I'm not trying to be offensive or belittle it he plays it very much as though it's someone who's perhaps on the spectrum you know he struggles to make eye contact and you know and I I couldn't quite put my finger on it but that's what I was thinking I I can't remember the exact turn of phrase that he uses but you know he's quite obsessive about certain things, mm. and his social skills are all over the place. Yeah, and... no, I think there is definitely. You um... know, I, I'm no expert. I no, just thought. No, I think there is there is definitely there's an essay to be written there. I yeah, think, if you and, were do, to do the research, and I think yeah. probably why I like you know I said last week that I think Matt Smith might be my favourite. Yeah, is because of that he almost has a vulnerability that the other doctors don't. Or in, different vulnerabilities. Yeah, in, in the yeah. past, their vulnerability seemed to be like the people around them. Yeah. But this is the first time we've seen him have like a weakness. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, not a weakness. Well, that's the no, wrong no, way no. to put I, it. I feel like you know Eccleston. It was like almost like a PTSD thing with him. That mm. would be kind of like one of his more defining characteristics. But yeah, I think with, with Matt Smith, there is an awkwardness to it. But I feel yeah. like, to an extent, I I like the way, the way he talks to Elliot. He doesn't talk to Elliot like a child. 
Yeah. Um, you know, he's everyone else because Elliot just kind of well, asks these sort he, of he sideways sort of does, questions, but he it? brings himself to Elliot's level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just he's like, it not feels, speaking down to him. No, exactly. It feels like a really like it's a really interesting interaction. I think. Mm. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, but anyway, he d- crucially he misses the bit where Elliot's like, oh, "I'm just going to pop home to get my headphones." Yeah, and he's just like, "Sure, whatever," because he's got his face buried in the laptop by that point. He's, you know, busying himself with other stuff. So then, of course, we have a missing child, and, uh, and yeah. um, um, you know, who knows what about to arrive. So he's locked out of the church. He's chased by the unseen monster. Yeah, and. They open the door to let him in, and he's not there. And it's at this point, Ambrose goes to look for him, and we f- first see the alien yes. of the episode. Yeah. So I've just put, it's Big Lizard Man. Yeah. And is it at this point that Tony is attacked with the venom? Uh, that comes a little bit later. Basically, they managed to capture the... Because I didn't write that in my notes, because yeah. I just thought, oh, that's fairly inconsequential. He's just yeah. been hit. Turns out, massive plot yeah. point. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, so so they managed to capture uh, the lizard man, as you say. Yeah. Turns out it's a lizard lady. Yes. Uh, and at this point, the Doctor says, I know who they are. Yeah. He's solved the sort of conundrum of yeah. what it is yeah. they're fighting. Yeah, and uh, every classic Who fan is also like, we know who they are as well. <laughs> so, as you say, they've captured it. The Doctor says, well, both sides have hostages now. We can enter negotiations. Yes. And speaking of their hostage, Amy wakes up. She shouts for a bit and then yeah. is then gassed and knocked out. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know what? I really, I was squirming in that scene because like, one of my genuine fears, like phobia things, it's claustrophobia. Really? I cannot deal have with small Have you ever seen, I think the film is called Fire in the Sky? Right. About alien abduction. And for all intents and purposes, the film isn't that great. Mm. It has the most horrifying alien abduction, like, vivisection, dissection scene. Yeah. And the one bit I really don't like is they put a sheet over the man. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like skin. And it just tightens all around him. No. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Could not be doing with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but we don't get to see much more. Actually, she's like obviously just trapped in some she kind of chamber. Cops out, isn't she? Yeah. So the lizard man takes his mask off. It's a lizard lady. Mm-hmm. I've put in my notes. Looks better with the mask. Yeah. And she says she is the last of her species. Yeah. She isn't. No. So the doctor says he's the last of his species. He isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, he is again now. I don't know, because um, the Master's around. No, nah, the Master's you've, dead. You've got Dr. He's, Donner. He's, he's, well, he's, he's back in the Time War as the Master. Right. You've got Dr. Donner. Yeah. She's part-time Lord. Well, no, she's not anymore because, you know, he wiped her brain. He has a daughter bombing around in space. Not technically uh, Gallifreyan. He has a granddaughter who is somewhere in time. No, Time War. Do you think? Yeah, probably. I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he needs to... Just let that go. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I like the way Matt Smith plays, because we haven't had that much Last of the Time Lord shtick from him. But yeah. the way he says to... Uh, I forget the exact line, but it's something like, I know... Like, I know how 
you carry that. Like, I know what that looks like sort of written on your heart. You're not the last of your species. Like, you know, I think that's a good moment. But, yeah. Uh, so she's called a layer. Yeah. And she says that the drilling has woken them up. Mm-hmm. The doctor says there isn't going to be a war. And he tells his little Scooby gang that they are the Silurians. And he's going down to see them. Yeah. Okay. So you may know more about the Silurians than me. But basically, they're the forerunners of planet Earth. Yeah. They lived here before we did. Yeah, that's it, basically. And they, at a certain point, they retreated underground, put themselves on, on deep freeze, basically, because they thought a catastrophe was coming and they were going to sort of thaw themselves out and retake the Earth, not expecting that, you know, a bunch of primitive apes would evolve into a new sentient dominant species. Mm. Um, so it's a, a, so that's, and that's basically the exact same that's what it really borrows from the original and you know it gives you that very interesting dichotomy whereby yes they are posing a threat to humanity but it's a legitimate claim yeah if anything yeah. humanity posed a threat to them yeah they were here first absolutely so you've got so like from that point on when you establish that they're like okay this can go one of two ways Either we can reach some kind of amicable peace, or we have war. There's no kind of middle ground here, you know. So you, it's a really interesting tension. It works brilliantly in the original, and I think it works really well in this as, uh, as well. So the Doctor takes Nazreen onto the TARDIS, and the TARDIS is pulled down into the Earth. Mm-hmm. So that leaves Aleo with Tony and Ambrose and Rory. Yeah, and she. Sorry, can we address when Nazreen sort of goes into the TARDIS? And you really do get the feeling that she's almost like temporary companion yeah. for the episode, don't yeah. you? Like she gets the TARDIS trip after a fashion. She gets to sort of react to the madness of, of, of it. And uh, you can tell she's already getting a bit like smitten in a platonic way, but she's like, she's taken with this mad eccentric mm. alien who's you know I think a little bit later but she has that line where she says is this every day for you yeah like almost jealously and he's like nah every other day (laughs) so Alea is with Rory Tony and Ambrose and she says one of you is going to kill me and that's going to start the war yeah so I thought at this point it was going to be Tony because you see him take his shirt off he's got massive venom intoxication yeah when he was sort of uh, hit by the, the poison tongue so, Amy is decontaminated. Mo is in sort of a pod next to her mm-hmm. and explains he was decontaminated and then he was dissected. Yeah. Whilst conscious. Yeah. Not pleasant. No. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be up for that. And then a horrible Doctor Alien. Not the Doctor yeah. Alien. Yeah. But an alien dressed in medical garb. Yeah. Approaches. Yeah. And the Doctor, this is where the episode ends, realises rather than facing one tribe... It's a whole city. Yes, yeah, because he assumed it would just be a handful, but you, know, you get the reveal. It's just like this huge, expansive, uh, yeah, Siberian city. Uh, really like the design as well, the Siberian city. In yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, we've seen far worse. Yeah. Um, poor Amy. Like this is like the second episode because was it Vampires of Venice last week? I think it was. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um. Um. 
and this is like two episodes on the trot. I know it was she's... Amy's choice. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so like, if she's okay, so not two episodes on the trot, but like, it's not that long ago that she was in the previously like strapped into a sort of surgical yeah. chair with someone sort of looming over her to do some kind of horrible procedure. But anyway, yeah, poor Amy. Right. So the city is huge and deserted. We're into the second episode. We are blood now. And Nazreen can't understand that there's plants this far down. There could be, I suppose. Yeah. It'd be warm, but as long... Because there's pockets of oxygen and everything, isn't there? Yes, yeah, they say that. I forget exactly. There's some science mumbo-jumbo as to how they managed to regulate the temperature. Yeah, there's no sunlight for photosynthesis, but we'll just ignore that. So, Amy's dissection is interrupted because some security guards find the doctor and Nazreen and gas them. They sound an alarm. Mm -hmm. So, she gets... The switch to escape that's just like a little button that the doctor has in his pocket. Yes. So she just takes that. And her and Mo find Elliot and he's all wired up and yeah. like freaky, isn't he? Yeah. So Rory goes to comfort Ambrose because she's quite upset. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely livid. She's fuming. Yeah. But Alea can't believe Tony's still alive. She thought that he'd be dead by now. Uh, it's all going pretty fast at this point in the yeah, yeah, so, yeah it's clipping along so the Silurians are going to decontaminate the doctor they say we're going to kill everything that isn't human <coughs> turns out obviously he's not human yeah. so that's what's going to destroy them and they explain that by drilling so deep the pockets of, obs- of oxygen below the ground are sort of becoming punctured the oxygen's escaping yeah. they're not going to be able to breathe yeah and it's at this point we meet Nesdak. Yeah. What did you think of Nesdak, the military leader? Yeah. Uh, she's interesting. I mean, she's one note. Is she? She's the most one-dimensional yeah. character I think yeah. we've ever met. But, but, okay, from a narrative perspective, she is interesting in the way she she provides the one extreme end of the spectrum. Because um, the whole, the whole like crux of this episode is like, how do you, how do you find a route to peace when two sides have got equally legitimate claims to whatever the resources are, and 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 that you've got within each faction you've got the sp- full end the full spectrum from wanting peace to just wanting war, mm. um, and we do see that. On both the human and uh, which we haven't quite got to yet, but we we do kind of get that on the human side as much as we do on the Silurian side. Um, so she serves an, uh, an important function in that respect. Um, so I don't begrudge her existence in this. Yes, she is very one note though. Yeah. So she's the military leader, and she wants to kill the doctor to send a message. Yeah. Won't be much of a message. Nobody really knows who he is <laughs> or why what he's doing. Yeah. So back with. Amy and Mo, they find two Silurians in deep sleep and they also find the means to reach the surface. There's these like round platforms that can essentially shoot you to the surface. Mm-hmm. And then they found not just two Silurians, but the whole army just in deep sleep. Yeah. So back on the surface, Tony's starting to feel pretty ill. Yeah. And back with the doctor, this is where I've written down past episode so he retells silurian history now 
I think, did you say it was Doctor Who and the Silurians? Yes, Doctor Who and the Silurians. See, I've got written down Warriors of the Deep. Warriors of the Deep. Peter Davison. Yeah, that was a later Silurian story. Okay, so there's, yes. more than, there's more than one. Yes, yeah. Right. It's, frankly, the, the use of the Silurians in Warriors of the Deep is not... I don't know. That 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 is quite a notorious story. It had a lot of issues. Was it was partly responsible for the eventual cancellation of Doctor Who? <laughs> um, That's the one we're gonna watch. Oh god, please, no. Yes. No, no, yes. no. We need I I want you to have a good impression of, of the fifth doctor. No, no, no. You always say like, oh, this is like <laughs> a good one and I never like it. So <laughs> we may as well watch a rubbish one and I'll oh, probably god. love it. Uh Warriors of the Deep. I'm going to pen that in. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try very hard to steer you away from that. No. Oh, no. That's locked in. That's in the Google <laughs> calendar now. <laughs> okay. So, Ambrose asks Alea for a cure. I don't even know if we've mentioned this, but Tony is, Ale- is Ambrose's father. Oh, yeah, no, we haven't specifically... We haven't even but, made that link. Yeah, but, so, yeah, yeah, no, that's the deal there. Yeah, yeah, so her husband works at the mine, her father's basically in charge yeah. of That's what I say, it's like basically one family yeah. with this whole story. So, Alea sort of laughs at the fact Tony's uh, dying. Uh, so Ambrose just whips out a taser. Where did she get a taser from? I don't know, and I think Alea doesn't recognise it. Because she holds it like a gun, yeah. so I'm assuming Alea just thinks it's a gun. Yeah. And I've just put in my uh, notes, just gives her a little zap. Yeah. Turns out, terminal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, We do, she she doesn't know the Silurian physiology. Yeah. Turns out... So, Rory hears a loud scream and goes to help. Yeah. But, too late, she's dead. Yeah. And did you realise in that moment just, like, how badly fucked things were? Well, not initially, because... Although she's like on the floor with her eyes closed, I yeah. just thought at first I thought she might just be knocked out. Yeah, yeah. But she isn't. No. So and really, it is the pivotal moment of this story. It's like yeah. from that point on, it's that's the sort of Damocles that I was mentioning. It's like just when she makes that choice. Yeah. They, you know, the the, the human side have just squandered all. Yeah, they've drawn their, first blood. They're good. Well, yeah, exactly. It's uh, like accident. Partly accidentally, and as understand, and, and I think this is the genius. That's uh, maybe too strong a word, but like this is why I think it. it um, this one of the strengths of the story and, and Chibnall's writing is that the decision was made. As you say, you thought it might have been Tony that makes mm. uh, that choice, but it's a partly accidental, um, motivated through. Losing a child, losing a child, exactly. So it's and like, a father and a husband. Yeah, exactly. Like she, you know, if you put yourself in Ambrose's shoes, you can understand how she would have felt pushed to that point. Even though we can, we can sit from the we can sit from the comfort of our sofas, being like, "Oh, that was the wrong decision." Mm. But if you were there in that moment, if your child had been taken from you by these monsters to you know to the naked eye you know how would you feel so i, I yeah I, I think it's 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 strong writing hmm. so nasdaq's plan to kill the doctor is halted by amy yeah for about five seconds so she then <laughs> says in fact i'm going to kill all three of you so it's mo amy and the doctor and then i put in my notes 
it's four because I forgot about Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> so powers restored on the surface. The reason they've done that is so they can broadcast the execution. So yeah. Nasdaq says, "Show me a layer, or hostages will die." Ambrose says, "No deal." So Nasdaq orders Amy's death and ends the transmission. Yeah. And then just out of nowhere, Silurian King appears. Yeah. I don't know if he's the king, he's like an elder. He just he appears yeah. out of nowhere. He's, he's an elder specifically called... Uh, I'm going to look it up, because... I think I have got it. It's kind of down. on the nose. Um, oh, where, where are we? Uh, uh, Eldane. There you go. So, like... <laughs> It's like he went in the script, he just wrote, he'd written Elder and was just like, um, oh, that's, I guess that's not a name. El, El, Eldane? That'll yeah. do. Played by Stephen Moore, who may not immediately ring any bells to you, but a, a fantastic character actor. Um, for me, two roles that I'm most associated with is uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. He did the voice of that uh, character in both the radio series and, I believe, the TV adaptation. Uh, and he's very good in it. And also, he's the dad in the Queen's Nose. Oh, really? You remember that? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been a while. We talk about Demon Head Mathurster in Aquila yeah. fairly regularly. Maybe. Queen's Nose. Yeah. Great stuff. I'm fairly certain there's an episode where they, I think they want to be good at football, uh-huh. so they wish that they can like train with a professional footballer, mm-hmm. and the one they get is a guy called Gary Mabbott, who right. I think he's a legend in amongst Tottenham Hotspur fans, <laughs> and not very many other people. He's probably just a mate of one of the production yeah. staff. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, I th- I'm pretty sure my first ever crush was the girl in the Queen's Nose. Really? Yeah. Well, we might Google her off air I after mean, this recording. Maybe don't, because obviously it was illegal for me at the time because, yeah. like, well, I, mean, I, suppose I was also a child. One of the reasons we, well, one of the reasons I'm so fond of uh, Demon Headmaster is Dinah, who was the main character, right. was one of my first yeah. teenage crushes. Yeah. yeah. One of mine, and it's still with me. Anthea Turner. <laughs> I don't know, just like when she did Blue Peter. And now I just think, yeah. you know, I'm a bit older, I think about things differently. I just think, that should be a lovely wife. <laughs> we'll leave that there, I think. I think she's married to Grant Bovey. I don't even know who that is. Uh, he's like a semi famous businessman. All right. He's a poor man's Duncan Bannertine. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's dabbing with faint praise, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think who else I had as like teenage, like just weird youthful crushes. No reason for it. Yeah. I, I didn't have that many like TV ones. The, the other one was um uh I'm blanking on her name now. Um Jennifer Thingy in uh, Labyrinth. Oh, Jennifer Connolly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you on that. Uh, I. I don't know. Which is like, you know, again, like she was 15 when she was filming that, so like awkward to talk about now as a grown man, but uh, yeah, at the time. I'm doing a real disservice. Oh, John Hughes. I went through a phase fairly recently where Mm -hmm. I watched as many John Hughes films as I possibly could. Yeah. So, like, 
Breakfast Club's one of my all-time favourites, Ferris Bueller. Uh-huh. Um, but I watched like one of his lesser-known ones, uh-huh. and it's called Career Opportunities, I think. Okay. And basically, the reason I discovered it was because I was listening to A Flock of Seagulls on YouTube, uh-huh. and it said it appeared on the soundtrack to this film. And Jennifer Connelly's in that, and she's absolutely stunning. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Fair enough. I've never seen a John Hughes film. Really? Never watched one. Pretty in Pink? Nope. St. Elmo's Fire? Nope. Home Alone? It's not a John Hughes film, is it? No, he wrote it, but it was directed by Thingy. I want to say Chris Christopherson, but that's Uh, not him. Is it Chris Columbus? Chris Columbus, yeah. 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 Um, Beethoven? Is that a John Hughes film? He wrote it. Is it? Okay, well, I'm familiar with his written work. I don't think I've seen anything he's directed. Through the 90s, I think the... He wrote, like, family... He wrote a lot. So, like, I think he wrote Curly Sue. Right, not Which was a film I really liked when I was younger. I haven't seen it in years. Might watch it. Yeah, I like John Hughes. Yeah, it's not through any kind of disdain. It's just I never got around to it. I'm quite Mm. bad at watching films. But anyway, we've gotten very sidetracked. I just wanted to mention... I wanted to particularly shout out Stephen Moore because... Sadly, he passed away last month. Oh, really? Oh, in fact, well, no, we're going to December now. So October it was, early October. So fairly recently. But um, just one of those really lovely character actors mm. who just, I, whatever he, whenever he pops up in something, just like, oh, Stephen Moore. Considering he's playing a lizard man, yeah. he has a bit of warmth to him. Oh, it's such warmth. And he's got that very gentle speaking voice. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he's. I think he's a lovely character actor and... Uh, yeah, a very very good casting for this role. So, once he's appeared, the Doctor speaks to Rory and says, bring Alea down here, everything will be alright. So the Doctor starts brokering negotiations between lizards and humans. Yep. Amy and Nazreen become the ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And back on the service, Ambrose has a sneaky plan. Yeah. Well, we haven't really talked much about Ambrose. Did you like her? I mean, no. She's awful. Yeah, considering <laughs> she's like the main, well, like secondary character. Yeah. I didn't really want to. I don't think you're supposed to. No. I mean, that's, it. I, that's the thing where I, 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 I empathise with her. I understand all the choices that she makes, but. I, I, and she's a believable uh, as a character. Like, I definitely believe her, um, you know, that she, you know, would exist be the person she is but no she's not sympathetic no I think um, despite being in this terrible situation yeah then I've just put in my notes Elliot's pretty calm when they wake him up comes face to face with a massive lizard man and he's just like alright <laughs> doesn't just like go oh cool or something like that it's like yeah so Kids. Nasdaq whilst all this has been going on mm-hmm. has woken up the army yeah and she kills we talked about him before this Medical lizard man. Yeah, I've written his name, Doctor Malarkey. It's like they—it's <laughs> like they just couldn't be bothered. It's—it's it's spelt Malokay. It's Malokay. M A L O H K E H. Well, it sounds a lot like Malarkey. It does sound like Malarkey. <laughs> right. So everyone arrives. Everyone realizes Alea's dead. Mm-hmm. Ambrose admits she did it. And the it's, army arrive. We can't gloss over just like the whole the like head in hands moment of when they arrive with uh, with the yeah. body and 
it's it's awful, isn't it? Because and, and I think it's made worse by the fact that we knew it was coming. Mm. Like cause you got that kind of whole period of dread, knowing that like you've seen these negotiations actually starting to go well. But also, I do love that when they're having the sort of the peace talk negotiations in this sort of boardroom, and like Nazarene and Amy are the representatives of her. You can like Amy is just like propping her head up on one yeah. arm, just like bored out of her mind. Like, yes, the fate <laughs> of the world is at stake, but she didn't sign up to be sat around a boardroom. She was she was in it for the adrenaline rush. <laughs> so tensions start to rise, and Ambrose reveals her plan. She's rigged the drill to start in fifteen minutes. Yeah, uh, Nasdaq obviously wants her dead because that's her main defining character trait. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, she did murder her sister. Well, yeah, but she was angry before she knew that. Mm, yeah, true. She hates the humans. Yeah. So, turns out Alea's sting isn't a poison, it's a mutation. Tony is going to turn into a lizard man. Yeah, it's kind of like it's, it's Some rewriting sort of, his yeah. DNA, kind of. It's a little bit like the end of, have you seen District 9? Yes, I have. Where he turns yeah. into a fucking prawn? Yeah. <laughs> I love that film. Yeah, it's a good film. Yeah. So, the Doctor basically says, you have one warning, let us go, or bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And they realise if they blow the drill up, they can close all the tunnels. The King Lizard basically says, I'm going to use the fumigation to wipe the city. So anyone who's not in storage will be killed. They'll be totally unaware of what's happened. Mm. Uh, So, he says they're going to wake up in a thousand years... That's time for mankind to come up with a plan. Yeah. So what it isn't is time to save Tony. So he says, I'm going to stay behind. Nazreen stays with him. Yeah. She says, oh, I think I finally found what I've been looking for. (sighs) Yeah. So they go into a deep freeze. She's going to be one of the ones to negotiate peace in the future. Yeah. And everyone gets in the TARDIS except the Doctor, Rory and Amy. Mm. This is the best bit of this episode. I didn't quite get that. Cheers, Siri. Um, this is the best bit of the episode. Yeah. Okay. So, they notice the crack. And it's sort of been in the background for a couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. And the Doctor basically says, look, there's been an explosion. Mm-hmm. Where there's an explosion, there's shrapnel. Yeah. And he sticks his arm into yeah. the crack. Now, does that mean everyone forgets the Doctor's arm ever existed? <laughs> Fortunately not. He manages to reproduce it. I, and it's always like a weird echo with you from the start of the episode where we were like, I wouldn't stick my arm in, in a hole that's yeah. just eaten my torch. Likewise, Doctor, I would not be sticking my arm in a crack that seems to just wipe things out of the history. Yeah. But anyway. So he pulls it out. And yeah. He has a piece of shrapnel that's got... like shrouded in yeah. like a hanky. Yeah, he's... he's using that to kind now, of vaguely protect his hands. This yeah. bit was so good, I yeah. sort of forgot the plot of this episode. Yeah. So, it, like, it kind of out does... of nowhere, Nasdaq appears and shoots Rory. And I was just like, what oh, fucking hell, lizard yeah. people again. Yeah. Right? So, he's going to be consumed by the light from the crack. Yeah. It... Now, Amy says that he can't die because they were together on the hill. Yeah. But... The light from the crack surrounds Rory. And the Doctor does his sort of absolute bastard 
but it's for the best thing. Yeah. He just shoves Amy in the TARDIS and locks the door. Yeah. Because otherwise she'll get consumed as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Amy goes absolutely mental. Yeah. It's it's tough. Great great acting from Karen Gillan. And so the Doctor says, look, you have to remember Rory. So he yeah. talks to her about Rory. Yeah. And this bit, I've just even put in my notes, I'm very rarely this complimentary. I'm like, this yeah. is unreal. Yeah. And as they're talking... All of a sudden, it's like the light goes off in Amy's mind. Yeah. Like, Rory's just yeah. gone. And again, that's just through like facial expressions. And yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. they get to the surface, the drill explodes, and Amy sees Amy at distance. No Rory in yeah. the distance anymore. Because he didn't exist. He, didn't, he yeah. no longer exists. And yeah. she's forgotten. At this point, it's yeah. crystal clear. Yeah, it's brutal. Now, the Doctor ends the episode by looking at the piece of shrapnel he'd pulled mm-hmm. it's a big chunk of the TARDIS yeah did you see that coming no it yeah. was one of a few theories I could have had basically yeah. like it's the only thing I'm aware of in the universe that could cause such a big explosion yeah. but at the same time I never thought they'll just blow it up yeah so yeah I'm I really enjoyed this it's good isn't it I'm not saying it's, it's perfect but yeah. Good little episodes. Yeah, it's funny because, as I say, it's, it's got a bit of a bad reputation as being like people don't like that it's very because it's, it's quite slow paced. It's quite kind of um, pondering at times. But I, I when it's when it's working, it's really working. This yeah, story, I, I would I would criticize it in terms of the secondary characters. You know, they could be boiled down to just man, woman, child, yeah, yeah. father. Yeah, Mo doesn't get much of looking. No, as a, as a character, but no. but um, but yeah, no, a, a, a solid two-parter and just a crazy like with a little over the halfway point of this series and like just that twist at the end, it just completely yeah, just turns everything on its head. Yeah, it makes the whole crack thing a bit more engaging. Yeah, you know, we've seen them. There's a crack. We know yeah. that. Yeah, but this is where it. Yeah, there's uh, personal stakes now. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've had enough time, I feel like, to be invested in Amy and Rory as a couple as well. Like, yeah. You know, so. But no, yeah, very good. I enjoyed that. Fantastic. Well, um, a rare happy note to end an yeah. episode on. Um, fingers crossed we can keep the good vibes going uh, next week when we will be discussing Vincent and the Doctor. But until then, thanks very much for listening and cheer we have. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.